This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Thank you so much for being on the show. I am super excited to sit down with you just with everything that is going on in the world right now. I'm like, okay, we need to talk about this, but Mm. who do I know? And I immediately thought of you just because like you really, really know what's up. Mm. You speak so honestly. (laughs) And um, I know you're a champion um, here in Wellington and organizing lots of protests and marches and stuff. And I was like, okay, she's a girl. I just got to have her on to talk about what's going on at the moment. Mm. Um, But before we start talking about what's going on, um, I start every show with this question. When was the last time you had a really good yarn that left you with like food for thought? And it can be something silly, it can be something serious, it can be whatever you want. Um, I think the last conversation I had with someone, one of the girls I work with, um, we had a really good sit down and we had a massive, massive chat about the whole Khloe Kardashian beauty standard incident where she reached out to media outlets and was asking them to... Um, remove photos of her where she didn't look her best um and we had like a massive talk about the beauty standard and how that created the beauty standard and then we went into this like massive segue into what beauty is and like how yeah it was it was so amazing and you know those conversations where you walk away and you're like I feel so I feel so like I just feel so full and like my mm. heart feels so full and I feel like they've listened to me and I've listened to them and yeah, yeah I that was great. love conversations like that yeah. and I love when you have that feeling with other wahine yeah it's amazing yeah um but not looking her best is that meaning photos where she's like not photoshopped or anything yeah yeah which I found <laughs> oh, really oh she is photoshopped sorry yeah no she was complaining about a photo that her grandma had posted which is so cute like how amazing is that her grandma was like I love you so much um and she was posing a certain way which made her look like slightly overweight and she complained about um, that yeah so she was quite upset about the fact that her body wasn't what it was and then she went on um a rant on her Instagram page about she posted photos to prove she was actually slim <laughs> to be like, these photos aren't an accurate representation. And then, um, spoke about what it was like and how she deserves the right. And she reserves the right to be able to go out there and be like, this is what I want the world to perceive me as. And I disagree with that because I think, um, the Kardashians created the beauty standard, right? Like it's not actually up to you to decide what is beautiful and what's okay. So we had a really great chat about that and it was really awesome. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so interesting. I have so many thoughts from that. <laughs> actually, that reminds me of another thing that blew up recently. And I was like talk, thinking about beauty standards as well. Zac Efron was in a video um, promoting Earth Day or something like that. Oh, I, yeah. I don't even know. But anyways, the point is, the fact that I can't even remember what he was promoting because everyone was so distracted by his yeah. face. And he looked like um, the handsome Squidward. Yeah. And you know what? Zac Efron in all forms... Beautiful. Yeah. Mashallah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought it was so interesting that people were like, oh my God, he's got plastic surgery. Yeah. Whoa. So bizarre, right? People who are that public can just never get any, yeah. any slack. And I think it's also, as like a feminist and as like a really 
as a as a person who really believes that everyone has the right to do whatever they like it's like how do you find the line and the boundary of being like power to you do what you like it's amazing but also oh that sucks that you feel that you have to do that what's wrong with the beauty standard if you're feeling like you have to do that Mm. and I feel like I'm constantly in the middle being like I think it's amazing that he went out and did that like good on him Carpi. like he's making himself feel better but also why do you feel like you have to look better why do you feel like you don't look how you are now it's um it's really interesting when you sit down and have a think about that eh? it's yeah it's a really weird struggle I yeah think. it is a really weird struggle struggle is a good word for it yeah hmm. and I think even though like we're not celebrities but it also applies <laughs> to like people in yeah. our lives I'm sure we all know someone who's gone and done something and mm. you're like oh my god why do they do that they were yeah. beautiful beforehand I mean if, if that's what they really want to do yeah. I mean good for yeah. you I'm yeah. not going to take that away from you but yeah. like also where did that desire come from that's where did the desire come from like mm. what made you think I don't like this about myself and I want to go change it because I think I want to look like XYZ and I think I'm re- I've always been so like go do what you want to do but it's also we need to address why that's happening in the first place and like the beauty industry makes so much money so much money off of our insecurities right like I worked in the beauty industry for nearly four and a half years so I've seen it firsthand like people have a blemish and they want to cover it um, and it's like why can't you just why can't we teach people that it's okay to just have blemishes <laughs> instead of failing? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I read. This sounds so off topic, but I recently changed my lock screen, and I love this photo of Arthur and I. Um, but I initially hated it because I was like, "Oh my god, my double chin is like fully there," and now I'm just like. I don't care. Yeah. It's a lovely photo of our love, and and that's it. It doesn't matter if you can see my double chin. Right. And, like, I remember my sister posted a photo on our family WhatsApp the other week of me and my niece. And I remember being like, oh, I look horrible. And being like, oh, my God, this is me at my happiest. I'm sitting with my niece painting. Like, why am I even thinking about how I look and how I'm being perceived by other people? It's just a crazy concept, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Oh, what a wonderful empowering Yeah, I love it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, okay, so I feel like social media is blowing up recently over what's happening in Palestine. Mm. And I think... A lot of people who I personally don't even know were interested in like politics or social rights or just any of that kind of stuff are kind of posting, resharing mm. as well, which is amazing. But I'm also just like, you know, the same fears that I had with the whole Black Lives Matter movement is, is this um, sustainable? Are mm. people, do people truly understand what's going on? Because mm. I feel like in this day and age, activism is very present online and i think i have been sometimes critical of social media Mm. um for being a platform where people can just be performing their activism rather than really living it and and doing it and so just kind of unpacking everything that's been happening Mm. um why has it recently become a thing that people are talking about yeah. Because um, I feel like in the Muslim community, at least, we've been talking about this and crying and praying about this for such a long time. Yeah. Um, but why is it now that, you know, more of the mainstream social media platforms mm. um, are opening their eyes to what's going on? Yeah. So I guess um, to start, you want to kind of rewind back to 1948 so that's basically when this all happened so we're talking about 76 years which is absolutely nuts to me that we're still continuing um so that is when al-nakba so al-nakba day which means the catastrophe in arabic so that was the day where the partition essentially started um and where the introduction of the jewish people from europe 
started in Palestine. Um, so, I mean, understandably, people were really unsure about it. You're taking away kind of what they're used to. It's not... I mean, it's really worth mentioning that Palestine is a really holy land, obviously, and there were three different religions living there in peace. And I, I say that really, really strongly, and I say mm. that really importantly because people forget that Jerusalem is a hub for all religions. And I've been there myself, and I remember seeing a rabbi, a priest, a sheikh, within like 10 minutes, all next to each other. And so what's happening now is the eviction of homes, so people being evicted from their homes in Sheikh Jarrah, which is a suburb, a neighbourhood in Jerusalem. So we, I mean, we obviously know what's been happening in a long time for Gaza, right? So mm. Gaza has the wall segregating it from the rest of Palestine because um, it houses Hamas and, like, they have a lot of interference with the IDF with Israel. So Gaza has always kind of been its own little area. It's always been explained as, like, an open-air prison because people are just constantly dying and being attacked there. Whereas Jerusalem has always been a little bit more shielded and it's been more of, like, a safer place because, obviously, it houses um, the embassy. Like, it's a really, really crucial part of Palestine and Israel. Um, so what's been happening is breaking that peace and going in and having Israeli settlers. So I'm not even talking military. Like, we're talking people that have settled there. And I want to really make it clear that it is colonial. It's not It's not them going in and being like, this is our land. They're completely pushing and evicting people from their homes that have been there for decades. Like, we're talking... This, it's very similar to, to Māori and Tangata Whenua here, where your land is really sacred and the land that you hold actually identifies who you are and what family you're from. So we're entering these homes of people who are actually really old as well, people that are maybe having like real families, like generations of families all living in the same homes, being pushed out of their homes, being made refugees from their own suburb into another suburb, which is then being evicted. So we're seeing a constant chain where Israeli settlers are getting empowered by the military. So that's the issue, right? The issue is that we've always had military law and we've always had these issues with Palestinians. But now we've got these settlers coming in saying we have the power from the military. Um, so I think that's why it's gathered quite a bit of traction. It's because people are going, hang on, it's actually not okay that that's happening. So yeah, that was a very brief overview. But um, yeah, it's heart-wrenching. It's horrible. That is <clears throat> a lot to unpack. Mm. I think, you know, there have been horrible stories of, like, children mm. having bullets fired at them and, you know, horrible stories of, like, people swapping children so that if one passes, then at least there's someone that will um, continue with the line. Yeah. Um, and I think people are really getting trapped into the trauma of it and thinking, oh, my gosh, how horrible this is. Mm. And... <clears throat> This, what's happening now, kind of reminds me of something that I was talking about ages ago, where I feel like when there is violence and gross, um, oh my gosh, violations, sorry, mm. I just lost my words for a second, <laughs> gross violations on human rights in the Arabic part of the world, People, it just seems to go over their heads. Yeah. And then last year when that building in France fell down, oh my gosh, yeah. so, you know, everyone expressing their pain and yeah. their, um, you know, expressing it's a huge loss. And I'm like, mm. well, this has happened for such a long time. And then, you know, there obviously is an aspect of people devaluing Arabic lives. Yeah, yeah. That's it exactly is. what it is, yeah. And then now there's this huge mass awakening. Yeah. And 
I worry that people are just really getting into it for like the trauma. Point. Yeah, it, it is like people just get really stuck into it. And I um, would love your thoughts on like why this is really important and it's not mm. just uh, something that's oh my gosh this is so horrific sad react reshare mm. move on um is this a, something that you have noticed as well in mm. in your space oh absolutely and i think it it's so infuriating when you see people sharing or you see people talking about how heart rate breaking it is and then you approach them saying like do you want to come along to this rally or do, or do you want to openly support and they're like oh look i can't and i think it is also because we feel a lot of pressure from social media to all be into the same stuff and all have the same values and have the same moral compass. So when someone shows that they're outside of that societal norm, it's quite annoying and it's quite, like, aggravating. I find it really annoying. I mean, for me, as a Palestinian, I would absolutely love it instead of you going out and sharing how sad you are and how heartbroken you are, you actually do something about it. But I guess for some people it might be easier than others, you know? And, like, I think everyone's in their own journey with finding out how they want to approach politics and how they want to approach what's happening in the world. And I think, although my approach might be a little bit more aggressive and more like, why are you not doing anything about this? I think it is really like useful to take a step back and be like, they're probably just coming to terms with themselves. And some people might never come to terms with it. Some people might always live really blissfully unaware and not caring about what's happening. And that's okay, but that's not what you want to be a part of so just step away and and kind of leave it that's that's kind of what I'm trying to do going forward I guess yeah I 100% back that up I feel like not everyone has to show their activism online yeah it means different it means something different to every person absolutely absolutely a unique journey Mm. um but I just every single time I just see someone sharing it I just cannot help but think on the back of my head like I really hope they understand mm. the life that has been lost and how long this tragedy has been going on for and <clears throat> just contextualizing it. It's yeah. not just something, oh, this is so sad, let's share. Mm. Um, and you were talking about action mm. and you've been doing a lot on the ground here in Wellington. So do you kind of want to explain what you've been organizing and what that um, journey has been like? Yeah. I mean, I'd absolutely love to take credit for all of it, but my sister is, um, yeah, she's a massive, massive part of Wellington, Palestine and a massive, um, a massive supporter for me as well. Um, basically we're just calling on people to create to keep the momentum going and like it's really great all the rallies I've been to in the past week we've organized three which has been fantastic um and three within a week is really intense to have a massive turnout every time of over 300 people like that's a pretty big thing um my biggest thing is we're trying to keep the momentum going to ensure that after this all dies down and after everyone's got their anger and their rage out at the rally that they're actually continuing to make action and take action um so that's kind of the main focus for now is how do we create that engagement from the rallies, from the protests? How do we take this emotion that's sitting in people's hearts, which is always sadness, and turn it into fuel and anger for them to write to their MPs, write to Jacinda, write to people that they can that can actually make a difference? Um, because I know from the past I felt really... Like, you feel really helpless, and you're mm. like, what am I going to actually do to make this better? But sometimes you actually just have to go out and do something <laughs> as opposed to just like sit there and 
and think about it. So yeah, that's kind of what we've been focusing on in the past like week or so. Oh my gosh, three three in one week. That yeah, right. That's nuts. That much of a turnout mm. each time. That's amazing. Yeah. Honestly. Um what else can an individual do if someone's tuning in and they're like, Okay, right, I wanna do more. Mm. How do I where should I go for learning resources mm. or who should I donate to or you know, what else can I do? Well, I personally really like um, Vice. I think Vice do a really, really great job on being super unbiased and, um, I mean, as unbiased as a media outlet can be. Um, Vice have an amazing documentary on what's happening in Palestine at the moment. Um, they've also been really up to date on social media about what's happening and they've been coming at it from like a, a more simplified version. Um, to help out, like, I would say start local for sure. We have, like, the national network for Palestine. So that's all over New Zealand. And then within each city, there's, like, their own little organization. So I think reaching out, signing up, coming along to the meetings, engaging. Actually having that corridor is, like, probably the most valuable thing. Like, money is great, but we're not going to be able to put money, <laughs> like, wherever we want. And especially in Gaza, it's so hard to actually get the money to them without it being confiscated from the military or anything. So coming along and having a discussion um, and meeting other people Palestinian supporters would be the best thing I would say. I think because um, I've had a week or two with some people um, around the what's happening in Palestine, mm. and there's a whole lot of fear actually with having that conversation. Yeah. People are really scared to, you know, know what to, to even call it. You yeah. know, the fact that people like conflict and mm. they're scared to even say the word conflict, and um, for people who are scared of having that conversation, um, what would you say to that? It's quite, um, yeah, the word conflict, it's interesting that you bring that up because I remember always referring to it as the Israel-Palestine conflict and then being like, oh my God, you're so right. Like, it's actually so much more than a conflict. I think before those conversations arise, making sure that you are actually actively going out and doing the research to find out what you think is the most important thing. So I remember when I was trying to go through that journey myself when I was a lot younger, um, reaching out to people, having a chat, believing and understanding that Palestinian people aren't actually here to educate you. <laughs> they're here to exist and they're not there to um to be like this is what's happening, this is what your input should be. Um I think that yeah, everyone should go out and actually find out information for themselves. So like reaching out to Vice or something like that, having a look on their like Instagram and stuff, that's always a good way to look at it. Um don't be afraid to look at the extremes as well. So have a look at like each side, make your own informed decision and then have that conversation and I think also like admitting I might not actually know a whole heap on the subject so before we have this conversation like please don't mind if I xyz or if I don't understand what you're saying or like mm. just being really open and clear like you don't have to be you don't have to be extremely clued up on it the fact that you're talking about it is enough right I think people feel like they have to pick an opinion stick to it ride or die like have that opinion for the rest of their lives but you can change you can fluctuate like you can educate yourself more you don't always have to be stuck in one position that's so true thank you so much yeah. for like you know for people tuning in giving them that permission yeah. to be like okay actually i don't know enough about it and mm. that's fine because we're all learning like i'm learning just sitting here talking to you mm. so that's cool and then just going back to what you were saying about the word conflict mm. tell me more about that actually because um it sounds like maybe you don't use the word conflict anymore and you yeah say something else. um i mean i'm still I'm still also coming to my conclusion on that myself mm -hmm. because I think once we start to censor too much of what we're saying, it gets way too complicated and people that 
are tuning in on a surface level will be very like, this is too much for me. The reason I try to stop referring to it as a conflict is it's not a, a, it's not a fight where two people are oppressing each other. So it's not a fight where it's equal power. It's not a fight where two parties are actively involved. And I, I will argue that until the day I die. You know, what Hamas is doing for Palestine is nowhere near what the Israeli military are doing towards Palestine. So I like to refer to it as an oppression, because you're oppressing the Palestinian people, as opposed to a conflict. But that is, I mean, with every situation like this, with every person of colour, they're going to tell you what they don't mind and what they do mind. So, I mean, for me, I'm not extremely bothered by that. I'm just glad we're even having that corridor. But from my perspective, a conflict is implying that equal amount of Israelis are dying as much as Palestinians. And that's just not not true. That is um, really interesting. I mm. think sometimes... Um, I, I think sometimes we get too caught up in labels and, and words and, and the significance of things sometimes. Yeah. Um, but in situations like this, I'm like, actually, I can see how calling it something else implies just how... Um, imbalance this mm. everything that's going on is right now I think for especially for people who are, are kind of walking in fresh and they have no idea what's going on mm. um, it's really easy to to not understand actually how oppressive it mm. is and I think especially for this generation or like people our age we haven't seen anything like this really happen before mm. like all talks of genocide and um colonization we talk about it as if it happened in in the past Mm. um even though we can see the effects of it now Mm. but they're usually things that we study in history or we talk about it in the context of the past but this is the like you know for people our age and younger Mm. this is the first time we're seeing it happen in like our time Mm. now um and it will be something that when we go on to have um children we become grandmothers um our younger people will be asking us about about it you know what happened yeah you know who were the who were the bad guys and what did you do about it what did you do when when it was happening to you so i think that's really interesting Mm. um oh shoot i had another question come up but now that i now we're talking about this. It's, it's lost. Um, but we'll come back to it. I'm sure we'll come back to We'll come back. We'll back. Um, what I want to, another thing that I want to go back to was Vice. So mm. you mentioned Vice is a pretty big platform. Yeah. And um, I've seen lots of criticism online, but also um, just in person as well, that the media doesn't actually accurately report what's going on. Yeah. And it's very biased and it's painting Mm. a wrong picture as to what's actually going on. And when you're painting the wrong picture, you're not able to accurately assess who is the oppressed, who is the oppressor. Mm. Yeah. when you read mainstream media, does it enrage you with how inaccurate it is? Or you're actually like, oh, no, they're actually they're doing their job fairly and they're reporting mm. the news neutrally? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, like, does anyone read News Hub and not get frustrated at the comments? Like, that is true. It's crazy. It's just... 
it's it's so nuts how they've portrayed everything. And I think a perfect example of that is the fact that I spoke at the rally last week and I gave a speech and I spoke for 10 minutes from my heart. And the only line that was on the news was, I am an angry Arab woman of color and we come in all shades of anger. And it was me screaming. And that was the one line I screamed. <laughs> and one news cropped that, took that pop there and there. Um, and I just thought that was insane to me. Like I give you this speech about how my family had been affected, how my great grandfather was killed and how I went to Yaffa, how I went to Jerusalem and I met all these people and you take the one part that shows pure rage as opposed to any of the emotive language or any like the, the tears I shed. I think that, you know, that says it for itself. Absolutely. The media is biased, but I think it's also who is mainly watching the media, the, the, the media and the news these days? Like, who's actually tuning in at 6pm? You know, it's not us. We're not sitting there tuning in. They're wanting to appeal to the people that are watching. So they're showing, like, the Israeli side a lot more prominently. That makes me so mad. Right? Yeah. I was so disappointed. And, like, people at work were coming up to me saying, oh, I saw you on the news. And I was like, yeah, like, I'm not really like that. Like, there's a lot more to me than, than pure anger. But that was what they did. Oh my gosh, in that one sentence, they've just reduced you to to Mm. rage. And And yeah, it's a poem that I was reading. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, my whole life I've been so scared of being portrayed as this angry Arab woman of colour who's out here being like, telling people what they want and like, I've immigrated here and I deserve better and blah, blah, blah. And they completely played into that whole fear that I had my entire life. And then I was like, you know what? Like, I don't care. I'm just, that's who I am now. <laughs> like, I'm absolutely taking that on board. So, yeah, the media is pretty, it's pretty horrific, eh? <laughs> that is, oh, that is shocking. So, yeah. in your eyes, are you more like, actually, social media is where it's at. If you want the raw, unfiltered opinion, mm. rather than, like, the mainstream news outlets? I don't know. Oh, I think still, like yeah, I'm still trying to gauge. Yeah, and I think on social media as well, we surround ourselves in our ecosystem of what we love and who we think believes in the same things as us, mm. and we follow people that we enjoy to listen to. So we think that everyone is on board with our opinions, and then you take yourself out of that, and you realize hang on, not everyone has these civilised, (laughs) calming opinions that I have. And it throws you off completely. So I don't know. I think social media is a great platform for sharing. Like, it's really great that you have that instant access to share something. But I think it can be quite bad how we are just living in this little world, in this little bubble, and we don't have that interaction with the other people that disagree with what we have to say. Because sometimes it's more beneficial to have that argument (laughs) than it is Mm. to just be like, this is what I'm getting. That is so true, actually. Mm. Yeah, like, yeah, even though social media has that element of being raw and unfiltered, it's still curated. It's curated, It's still very much curated, so you do have to just push yourself and challenge Mm. yourself to make sure you're reading and you're listening as as much as you can yeah um speaking of online stuff you're very active on like instagram and facebook about um what's going on in palestine Mm. have you had people um like approach you in real life because of what you're posting online and ask you questions or um, I don't know, want to carry on that conversation in person? And yeah. if so, how does that make you feel? Mm. That's a, that's a, honestly an amazing question because I was just having a chat with my sister about this before. I think it depends on how it's being asked. So if someone's coming to me asking me for my thoughts on it, 
I think it's pretty clear what my thoughts are. Um, if someone's coming and they're saying, I want your help with making a decision, I want you to educate me, then my thought right off the bat is go to Google. <laughs> you know, right? Like, it's like if, if you went up to a black person, you said, do I, do I have to believe that black lives matter? It's like, no, how about you go make your own decision? I'm not here to be your your dictionary to explain everything for you so you can make an informed decision. But um, it was really cool. The other day I went into work and this guy was like, I was so excited to see you because I just wanted to have a chat to you and explain to you that I agree with everything and, like, this is my thoughts on it. So if someone's coming and sharing their opinion with me, then wholeheartedly, like, let's have a chat. That's amazing. But if someone's coming and being like, tell me what's happening, I want to help, no, that's not my job. You can have a wee look online and see how you want to help or what you want to do. Um, or I can point you in the right direction, or I'm happy to give you resources to make that decision yourself. But I've had quite a few people approach me, actually, more than I would have ever thought. Well, that goes mm. to show that people are engaging with what you're sharing, mm. right? And they're yeah. just, just kind of waiting for that one last push to kind of mm. actually, you know, do something about it, yeah. or to have that conversation. But yeah. it's so, yeah interesting yeah there's so many people just lingering on social media and watching yeah kind of slowly absorbing not too sure how yeah. to feel about it or what to do with it um that's so interesting that you um brought up the fact that people come up to you and they're like tell me what's going mm. on um how do you think that people take for granted that just because you are very passionate about what's going on in Palestine and as a Palestinian woman that you just automatically should just give, 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 teach, mm, teach, teach. Yeah. Um, how do you look after yourself in situations like that? Because actually it must be traumatic talking about how, like, what what's going on personally means to you. Yeah. Like, it means right. a lot to your family. Yeah, yeah I think, like... It's really hard in that situation because they're obviously coming to you because they want to know what's happening. And, that you know, you, you don't want to completely push them away and be like, it's not my job to tell you. But also, like, so many women of colour are always put in this position where they're having to speak for their race or they're having to speak for what they believe in. And I just really don't believe that that's my job. I, you know, it's my job to pass on my frustration and how I'm feeling, but I'm also, like, consenting to sharing it when I'm sharing it. When someone's coming up to me and saying, tell me, spill your heart out, tell me how this is impacting and what I should do, it's not very consensual. It's more like, this is what I want from you, this is what I need from you. Whereas when I'm doing it on my own accord, I'm doing it to fulfill my needs. But when someone else is wanting it, it just feels like I'm kind of doing it for you. Like I'm doing this because you're asking. But hang on, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be talking about this on Saturday night at 11pm. I want to be having like a chat. I want to be sitting down, hanging out. I don't want to be talking about something that's actually emotionally and like mentally really taxing, right? Mm. So I think... Um, I mean, I'm a very, I'm a very, like, opaque, <laughs> like, I'll just say right off the bat to the person, like, hey, I don't really want to chat about this now, um, but I also think, yeah, just going out and doing their own research would be the best way to go about it, really. It's just, it's interesting how we act as, like, a vessel for, <laughs> for people to find out things, um, but yeah, it, it all depends on context, right? Like, and it depends on how you're approached, but a lot of the time I do find people asking me on what their opinion should be. And it's not, it's not really, like, I don't feel like I'm even qualified to say what anyone's opinion should be because I'm overly biased and I mm. am a Palestinian woman. So it's kind of tricky when it comes to that. Yeah, that is, it is a really difficult position to be in. Mm. Like, I remember when um, 
you know, the Christchurch terrorist attack happened and a lot of people were coming up to me and asking me, like, you know, how, you know, racism in New Zealand, how, what has it been like for you growing up here? And it's just, it's, even now it's kind of weird to digest the fact that people need to hear traumatic stories to be able to process it and be like, oh, okay, this is actually a thing. This is very yeah. important. This is very serious. And sometimes you do need to hear the the traumatic things to be like, oh, okay, this is not my reality, but for someone else to go through that, I can understand that it's painful and, and you know, something needs to change. But for that to be a, a thing that needs to happen for people to understand mm. it, I think it's really, it, it does blow my mind a bit. It honestly does. And so I think just seeing people reshare all these things, I'm like, oh, God, just... yeah. Just be mindful that it's, yeah. it's lives and, and it's real pain. And mm. and I really like how you're an advocate for go out and do your own research. Yeah. I think a lot of the things that I've been reading on social media is, it is, it's not a conflict. It is a yeah, gross violation on human rights. But for you to still sit here and be like, actually, no, you need to go do your own research. Mm. I think that's really cool. Really Mm. cool of you to say something like that. Yeah. Well, I guess, like, I'm a sucker for this. I forget that not everyone has the same moral, like, uh, compass as I do, right? Like, I, for me, this is a massive thing. This is a big deal. This is the forefront of my life right now. This is all I'm thinking about. Like, I'm waking up thinking about Palestine and I'm sleeping thinking about Palestine. But I need to remind myself not everyone's doing that because rightfully so, they don't actually have to. They're not directly impacted. They don't necessarily care. And I need to actually actively engage with that part of my brain that's like, it's not your job to force people to care about something that they don't actually have to. They don't have to feel that way. And that's okay. Go out, do your own research, find out how you feel, find an opinion, form it, argue your opinion well, find out information, resources to prove your opinion when you're approached with that situation to be able to back yourself. Because if you can't back yourself then what's the point of even having an opinion on something, right? Like, if you believe in something, but you can't actually sit down and tell me why you believe in it, why are you believing it in the first place? Like, it sounds like you're just kind of picking an opinion for the side of it. Like, I would rather have no opinion on something than just pick something. Mm. And I think we need to normalise that. Like, normalise being like, sorry, I don't actually have an opinion on that. I'll make one, or maybe I don't care too much about having an opinion on that, and I'll leave it. That's so, oh, that's so correct. <laughs> I feel like everything that's happening on social media, it's mm. giving people, well, putting pressure on people to have an opinion on mm. something or to say something. Um, oh, that is so, oh, I love that so much. Um, this is, how was Eid this year, celebrating Eid when everything is going on at the moment? I mm. mean, I saw lots of posts from um, fellow like Muslim brothers and sisters mm. who were like, oh, it's weird celebrating Eid this year knowing that, you know, mosques were um, bombed down and yeah. everything. Um, yeah. Yeah, what was celebrating Eid like this year? Mm. It was quite sad, but I think, I mean, there were a lot of factors that played into it. Usually my sister comes along and she couldn't this year, so, yeah, and she feels like aid to me, so it felt very, like, oh, getting up in the morning, like, depressed, waking up at 6.30, like, (laughs) scrambling to get, like, my niece ready. It was, um, yeah, it was a bit upsetting, but I think also I had such, um, 
such a connection to Al-Aqsa Mosque. It was like my heart when I went there. Oh, I don't even know how to explain it. Like just walking in and seeing it for the first time because we were actually stopped by security, by security, military, Mm. um, before we went in. And my dad was really shaken up by it because he was like, can we have a look at your passports? And they get to decide based on how they're feeling whether or not they actually let Muslims into Al-Aqsa Mosque. So it doesn't matter. What? Yeah, so they can they can say no and turn you away. What a crazy thing. What an insane thing, right? That you might not even be able to go in and pray one day because a military guard just feels like it. So we were quite shaken up when we got in there and then um, we walked in and it, the sun was setting oh. and it was incredible. And I walked in to the women's section and my dad was in the men's section and this woman came up and sat next to me and was like, where are you from? Like, right off the bat, like, the first thing she saw, because she obviously saw me wearing, like, Converse shoes, and, like, I looked very <laughs> out of place. And I, um, right off the bat, like, without even thinking, because I'm so used to telling people I'm from Jerusalem, I said to her, I'm from Jerusalem. And she was like, oh, well, like, welcome home. And it was just, Aww. like, the most... It was just incredible. And then I explained to her, oh, no, I'm actually from New Zealand. <laughs> like, sorry, I'm just so used to telling people I'm from Jerusalem. Um, so for me, Al-Aqsa was where I, like, felt... Oh, God, sorry, getting a little bit teared no. up. No, that's so fine. I oh. think it was, like, the first time I've ever felt like I was really, like, home. Mm. And just oh, walking gosh. through Jerusalem and, like... And everyone had the same, like, accent as me. Like, oh. they spoke the same Arabic that I spoke. Like, it was so amazing to be there. So... Hearing that people were attacked for worshipping was just so horrible because I remembered the people I'd met and they were so lovely. And this woman actually invited me for dinner at her house and she was like, come round and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, cause she lived out in Ramallah and for her to be able to actually leave, she would have had to go through so much, so much security and checkpoints. So I'm talking like four or five hours of just standing there, like being patted down by military before she can actually enter. Um, so I was like, oh, I mean, it's going to be kind of hard for us to get back there. And it's like a, it's a really short journey between Ramallah and Jerusalem. Um, but my dad was like, no, we won't go. But I thought about her and I think I haven't cried a whole heap about everything that's happened. And I just remembered her and I was like, I just hope like she's okay. And I was like, the whole mosque was filled with people like that. Like, how amazing. I could have been a spy for all she knew. And she was like, come on in. Like, come to my house. Like, your mum's not here. Like, I want to take care of you. And it was just incredible. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. Eid, I think, definitely felt nothing like that. Because I was like, I felt so, so sad that they couldn't even exercise their basic human right of being able to, you know, worship. It was, yeah. I think that really played in the back of my mind a little bit. Then we went out for dinner that night. It was lovely. (laughs) Throughout the day, I just felt very, um, like, disconnected, like, quite disassociated. Yeah. Thank you for, like, sharing your story and, like, bringing your real self onto the show. Like, for people tuning in, like, the mosque is literally the house of God. Like, it means so much to Muslims. And even if you're a really bad practicing Muslim like me, oh my goodness. No, I'm not. Stop lusting. 
I'm being so excited. Every single time I walk into a mosque, it just feels like I've come home again. Even if it's right. the first time right. that I've gone to that particular mosque, it it's feels amazing. like going home again. Yeah. And you would never think of anything bad happening when you're in God's house like that. So. No. You could go to any mosque and it would feel that same, like the patterned carpet. Like the yes. smell that you have, the shoes like perfectly lined up at the door. Like it feels like home and like... I was raised going to the mosque every single Sunday. My mum and dad taught there. My mum still teaches there, which is crazy. Your parents are just Oh, like, they're amazing. And I just think about how every single mosque I've been into, I've felt that, like, you're our daughter. Come on in. Don't care how old you are. We're going to take care of you. And I had that even in Al-Aqsa. Like, that wasn't even something that I just had in New Zealand. That was something I had on the other side of the world while they're under occupation, while wars were happening, while people were dying, and they can't even afford to feed themselves, pulling me aside and being like, like, let's take care of you. It's such a nice feeling going into a mosque. And then you're always like, oh, I should come here more often. <laughs> like, I know, it's like, stop like, don't say. <laughs> yeah, my first thought, like, the other week I went and helped my mum out with a class, and then everyone was like, it's so nice to see you, we haven't seen you since you were so young, and I was like, oh, they're filling my cup right up, like, I need to come back here, but, yeah, life just gets in the way, I guess, and you forget that that's, like, the connection that you need until you stumble across it again, and then it happens again. Oh, that's such a. I feel like that is honestly the experience of so many like modern Muslim people, absolutely young people growing up here. Yeah, like, yeah. It's so hard, kind of navigating um, identity, mm. but then you have experiences like that, and you're like, actually, there are little pockets of home for me. Yeah, you know, where, yeah. wherever I go. Yeah, and especially oh. like here, I don't know. I will never, ever, ever really feel like New Zealand is one hundred percent through and through my home, because I still obviously have people ask me what my name means and like just little things like that that remind you that you're different but when you go there no one cares like no one cares that you're different or because it's such like a a massive pool of like different ethnicities different foods different cultures different environments different levels of practicing muslims that they actually don't care what your history is they're just glad that you're there and i think it's really cool it's I so great. They're just, they're just glad that you're there. Yeah, they're just glad That's to see you. Is. You know, it's lovely. Oh my goodness. They're so. No, honestly, that is actually just mm. so beautiful. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's still that diversity here mm. in New Zealand, but we're just not quite there yet when it yeah. comes to being so accepting and to being so open. Mm. Like, um, I was working earlier on today and um, I'm trying to use a little bit more te when I'm, nice. like, serving customers. And it's just even a simple kia but there are some people who get very angry when I say that. Yeah. Like, hello. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Oh, literally just right? hello. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God gosh and then I go back to saying oh hey there and they're like okay and everything's all good again but no. it's so strange and that's like using the language of tangata whenua right people still get so um mad about it it's crazy eh and then when you come here like as an immigrant or even if you're born here and you're a person of color they want you to integrate into society in a way that fits them Mm-hmm. I want you to come here and I want you to be my software engineer. I want you to come fix my computers, but I don't want you speaking to me about your culture. I don't want to know more about your ethnicity. I want you to help me in the way that benefits me as 
tangatatiriti. And I think that is what's confusing. It's like if you're, you know, you're taking what you love about the person, take every other element of them. And, like, it's crazy. I've noticed it so much in my work as well. Like, we have so many so many jobs at the moment for software engineers pop up because all of our software engineers are always immigrants. And I'm like, wow, you're appreciating them when they're gone. But when they're here, you're never really like sitting and thinking about it. Hey, it's crazy. That's part of dehumanizing a group of people, right? Just taking the bits that you love and then leaving behind the bits that are too uncomfortable, too gnarly, just doesn't quite fit in. Leaving that behind, taking the parts that you love and and rolling with that which is so not okay and that's what appropriation stems from right like where people are like i'm appreciating your culture it's like no you're not appreciating what i've been through you're not appreciating every other element of my culture you're taking what it is that you love and you think is pretty or you think is great and you're celebrating that you're not celebrating the culture as a whole and i think yeah it's so interesting eh? i remember the today old conversation i had i sent an email to um, someone and they replied saying don't address me with today and I replied saying yeah yeah I felt really empowered from the people I worked with they said this is how you should reply um I replied saying it was a, it was a little bit sassy I said um although you well, might not, not enjoy <laughs> yeah well sometimes you gotta do it right they didn't reply they gave me a bad review but I was like whatever it is what it is um I said although you might not enjoy me speaking today or it is actually one of the national languages of New Zealand so I will continue to speak it nah mehi oh, <laughs> like, yes. you know like it's just bizarre <laughs> that is, yeah it is very strange and I think for like people like us we're, we're so here for it we just love yeah other people and other cultures yeah. and we know what it's like to be othered so yeah. we don't want anything we don't want like moving forward with the future of a country we don't want it to be like that yeah but you know what for some people they're just not quite there yet and yeah so you come across experiences um like that um but just our conversation talking about um to people taking the bits of cultures that that you love and leaving behind the other bits um and tokenizing people and dehumanizing mm. people. That's why phrases like Black Lives Matter exist and Asian yeah. Lives Matter and Arabic Lives Matter. Yeah. Because I think before we even get to the step of learning about what's going on and getting your facts and forming your own opinions, just first having that awareness that, you know, as I have, I've said this before and I will say this again in Love this episode, <laughs> like it's about people's lives the fact that there's histories and stories and family relations Mm. and there's just it's so complex just like our lives are Mm. but i think we don't think about it when tragedies like this happen especially nas tragedies we don't really think about it in that sense it's Mm. again just looking at the parts um but not recognizing it for its whole yeah um, and I think people need to like really understand that before they yeah. do anything with any kind of information Absolutely. Or, or act on any kind of action. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I feel like I could just sit down and just have you on the show forever. <laughs> oh, um, but I actually do want to ask you one last question yeah. because you are such a champion. Like, besides what you're doing um, for Palestine at the moment, organising the marches and doing all sorts of stuff. You are just a bit of a social activist queen in general, <laughs> um, championing the rights of Tangata Whenua and um, 
like I love having conversations with you and I'm always learning from you. Mm-hmm. Um, can you think of a moment where like this social justice activism sparked for you or you think it's just been a slow build up? I think I think like I, I mean speaking for myself, but also I think a lot of other women of colour can definitely relate to this. When you're growing up in New Zealand which I am so grateful for, love New Zealand, you want to fit in and you want to hide and you want to try and be as much like Pākehā as possible and try forget the parts of yourself that make you stand out. And I remember having a conversation with my sister and being like, how does it not kill you every single day what you're hearing about Palestine? Like how she was, she's from the get go been actively involved and she's the bubbliest, brightest, kindest, most compassionate woman I've ever met. She's never once sat down and like cried in front of me with what's happening. And I remember speaking to her about that and she said, it still takes a toll on me. It still impacts me, but I'm still doing it anyway. Like you still have to actually go out and do it. And I think it comes at a certain point in your life when you're comfortable enough to say, I don't actually care what anyone says about me or what anyone thinks about me. And I've outgrown the people that don't matter. And my friends that are around me understand that what I fight for is something I believe in. And they're either going to back me or they're not going to be with me at all. And that's fine. But I think it came from that point. And I remember talking to so many of my friends about it. I remember talking to Seagal about it and being like, I don't know how I can continue to grow and be who I am without leaving people behind. And then we had a conversation where we were like, I guess we just have to leave them behind. And when I made that realisation that I can actually do whatever I want in my entire life, like anything, isn't that crazy? We can do what we want with our lives, but we're still so terrified of what people say. Um, Once I realised that, I think I was just like, if everything, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm just going to like, I'm just going to speak from the heart and like, and fight for what I believe in because we're all going to die anyway and if I don't stand up for what's right then I'm just someone that stood by and did nothing you know and I think that's so painful to make that realization and realize that you're going to say bye to a lot of people and a lot of people aren't going to agree with you and you're going to be seen as an angry Arab woman and seen as someone that is really blunt and really aggressive but once you make that decision, it's kind of nice. So I think for me it was a bit of a gradual build-up and then a switch where I was like, nah, like going forward, I don't care. And then from there it was all, yeah, it was all go. Oh, <laughs> I love that so much. And I love how you, like, summarise this whole emotional journey. <laughs> it was kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so empowering, you know. It's so great. Oh, you're so empowering. Oh, thank well, you. People tuning in, I just, like, like hope you listen to Wagister and just be like, you know what, I don't know what exactly what it's going to look like for mm. me, but it's time to be brave and it's time mm. to just do it go for it like yeah. whatever it is whatever it like it looks like for you because not everyone's going to be out here Absolutely. going to protest and yeah. not everyone's going to be doing xyz what mm. we normally associate with um being a social activist yeah but actually just being brave and going for that first step yeah and you know what it might feel kind of nice yeah it might feel kind of <laughs> nice why not <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story and your tears and your aroha (laughs) and your joy. Um, Thank you so much for having me. This has been so amazing. I'm so grateful that someone like you has come here to, to share and to speak 
um, and just add something else for people to think about um, when they're trying to figure out what's going on because there is a lot going yeah. on at the moment and I yeah. think you have been a calm in this storm that's going on. <laughs> thank so you. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been lovely. And, like, it's, yeah, it's a lot of... It's hard work. Take it easy on yourself, you know? Like, to anyone listening, take it easy on yourself. Be kind to yourself. If you're finding that the work you're doing is so distressing and so hard, take a step back. Like, you don't have to spend 24-7, like, advocating. Like, you can just be kind to yourself. I think that's a pretty big thing as well. Like, you're only human, you know? We've got emotions. It's easy to pretend they're not there, but we need to tune into them a little bit. Amen. Be kind to yourself. <laughs> be kind to others. Love it. It's the mantra. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.